Greetings, and welcome to the Prometheus Project Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Bist. Thank you for joining me on this exploration of creativity. For today's episode, I'm going to be talking about finding your voice as an artist. You know, one of the interesting things about being a writer, or any type of artist for that matter, is finding your voice. At least, for a writer, it's called finding one's voice, but I think the term sort of applies to other areas of creativity. Painting, music, whatever. Basically, it means finding your own personal style. I think some artists find it easier than others, but that's okay. We all have to start somewhere. Now, from a writing standpoint, I started out by mimicking the authors I admired. When I was young, it was people like Shel Silverstein or Tolkien. Of course, back then, I was so inexperienced, I had no idea what I was doing. And I'm not sure that mimicking writers when I was that age really mattered. Now, as I got into my teens, I was really into Stephen King, so I tried writing like him. Now, arguably, King is a great storyteller, and he has a very conversational style of writing. It's comfortable, and it's cozy, which is an interesting way to describe someone who writes horror for a living. But it's true. King writes like he's sitting in the room with you, telling you the story. I think that's one of the main reasons he's such a popular writer. Now, I don't mean his writing is simplistic, but the conversational style appeals to the masses. And he doesn't write down to his audience. His style comes across as that weird but friendly neighbor who wants to tell you the story he heard. The two of you crack open a couple of beers and sit in some lawn chairs in the backyard, and he spins his tail as the sun goes down. That's how I see his writing style. But even into my 20s, I was still trying to write like other writers. For a while, I was reading Raymond Carver, Hemingway, and Chekhov. So I wrote shorter sentences and manly characters. Then I got into Tolstoy, Gogol, Dostoevsky, my Russian period. And yes, my writing style reflected their styles. More verbose, poetic, and the themes I used were a bit more bleak. I think this sort of plays into the adage of write what you know. I don't think that necessarily means to only write about things you have experienced. I think it has a broader meaning, as in, write what you are exposed to. If I was reading a particular type of author, like Carver or Hemingway, and I tried to write like them. And trying to copy your favorite artist is a good thing. I assume it would work the same with other areas of art. I mean, if you're starting out as a painter and you adore Salvador Dali, and you'll probably start out by trying to paint like him. And there's no shame in that. I say this because I've heard people put down beginning artists for not being original enough. When you're starting out, being original isn't a priority. You have to learn what you're doing, what works, what doesn't work, and to do that you have to study the artists you admire. Like one of my writing instructors told me back when I was in school, you need to learn all the rules so you know how to break them. Yes, rules are made to be broken, but rules are also there for a reason. You learn the rules when you're starting out because it helps you to establish a foundation with your craft. You learn the basic way to mix paint, or which types of paint work best on canvas, or paper, or glass. You learn how to diagram a sentence and subject-verb agreement. You learn the best way to fire your ceramics, or basic knotting techniques for your macrame. 
You have to do this because you don't yet have polished skills. You have to build that foundation. And that overlaps with the mimicking I talked about a few minutes ago. You build a foundation of basic skills, then you use those basic skills to copy the artists you admire. So at this point, you're building a framework on top of your foundation. Think of it this way. You buy some land in a nice neighborhood among people you like and admire. You look around at the other houses and see all sorts of things you like. Design elements, paint colors, floor plans. So you wander around and you take it all in. Then you go back to your plot of land and you build a foundation. Now, you can't cheat on your foundation. Everything that comes after is going to rely on this, so you have to lay the foundation by the book. You follow the rules. You level the ground. You set up the footings. You mix your concrete per the instructions. You pour it out just so, let it set and cure for the recommended amount of time. And then once it's ready, you start framing your structure. Now here you have some leeway. It's your house. You're building it. But at this point, you aren't exactly sure what you want to do, so you copy design elements from the houses around you, the ones you like. So you decide on the type of exterior walls you want, you know, like the guy across the street has. But instead of dark red brick, you go with a lighter color. Your roof is similar in design to the house owned by the lady three doors down. But instead of shingles, you go with a metal roof. It's similar but you're adding your own touches. Once you've gotten the foundation laid and the exterior finished, you're ready for the next step. Here's when you get to add to the guts of your house. Up to this point, you've been following the rules, getting everything just right, but still putting your own flourishes to the structure. The inside, though, that's where you get to be yourself, where you let your creativity go wild. The interior is where you express yourself, Show your own style. Of course, your style is influenced by your neighbors, and your visitors can see that. But they also see how you've taken bits and pieces from their builds and done your own thing. This is creativity in a nutshell. I don't know if I ever made a conscious effort to develop my own writing style. I mean, I know I wanted to have my own voice as a writer, but it had to evolve naturally. I couldn't force it. I took bits and pieces of the things I learned from the writers I admired, copied them, then over time that hodgepodge of influences morphed into something new. Funny thing to note, I don't think I even realized that I had developed my own writing style, my own unique voice. I mean, I know I have one, but when did it happen? The other thing to note is that, despite having my own voice as a writer, it's not a permanent one. Much like our speaking voices, artistic voices continue to evolve and change. We continue to be influenced and inspired by other artists. We see things in the work of others that we like, and maybe we try to incorporate those into our own work, in our own way. And no, it's not stealing. I think that copying someone or trying to copy something they've done is a compliment. I mean, as long as you're not saying, hey, I did this first or I did this better, that's just being an asshole. But back to my point, our voices continue to evolve. It's nature. But I think the more that we mature, the more comfortable we get with ourselves as unique artists, the less our voices change. 
when we're still learning, still awkward and unsure, the changes are more pronounced, more visible. Once we're comfortable and achieve a certain level of self-confidence, the less we're influenced by others. And maybe part of that is due to us being able to better discern what we want to be influenced by. You know, once we're in that comfort zone, we're producing creative works, we're getting good feedback, positive responses, that's when we settle in a bit. It's sort of like being in a long-term relationship. It's easy to get complacent and not try as hard. The thing is, if you want that long-term relationship to last, you have to make adjustments. You see other relationships and what those couples do, how they treat one another, the things they do for each other, and you see what works. So you think to yourself, self, I should write my partner a poem, just for the hell of it. It's not something you've done before, but you see that it worked for someone else, so you give it a shot. We do the same thing in art. I've been a writer for many years. I'm comfortable in my art. I have a unique voice, but I still analyze other writers. I look beyond the surface of the stories I read, see how they're constructed, how things flow, what works and what doesn't. If I see something done well, like a well-written line of dialogue or a beautiful passage describing a nature scene, It'll catch my eye and make me pause to consider what the writer did here. And can I do something similar? I feel that all artists do this. We work hard to learn our respective crafts. We learn what works, what doesn't work. And we develop our own artistic voices. And yet, we get to that point and while we don't necessarily have to work as hard to maintain that voice, we need to constantly polish it, refine it. There's always room for improvement no matter how skilled you may be. Experimentation is one of the cool things about being an artist. Try new things. Going outside your comfort zone. If you try something and it doesn't work, you just take a different path. And yeah, we all inspire each other. While artists often work in solitary bubbles, the influences on our work can come from anywhere. Now, I don't have a challenge for you this episode. But I do have a question, or two. I'm sure some of you are familiar with The Actor's Studio and the interview show they do called Inside the Actor's Studio. At the end of each episode, the host, James Lipton, asks his guests a series of questions. They're simple questions, but the answers provide some unique insight into the person answering. So, with that in mind, I'll ask a few questions and answer them here. But I also want you to think about the questions and what your answers would be. So here goes. What is my favorite word? Now see, that's a tough one. I love so many words. Some because they sound funny. Some because of the way they roll off the tongue. Off the top of my head, a random favorite word. Um, I think I'd choose plethora. It's fun to say. It's a soft word in that there aren't any hard consonants in it. And it means a lot of, which I like that. So then, what is my least favorite word? See, and that's another tough question. I don't think I can specify a word because all words have meaning and purpose. It's kind of like what George Carlin said about words, and I'm paraphrasing here. It's not the language that's offensive, it's the context. For the record, 
my least favorite words. Those are the words that are used to hurt someone. So what's your favorite and least favorite words? Why'd you pick them? It's not a challenge, but I'd like to hear from you. Feel free to drop me a line at my website, richardbiss.com, or find me on Twitter. I'm open to suggestions, comments, questions, or whatever thoughts you'd like to share about creativity. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next episode. Cheers.